I'm Brooks Brunson. I'm Emery Parker. And we're here yet again to explain the forces shaping the Palmetto State. This, this is un- oh. oh. Sorry. Oh. Sorry. You want to say it? No. Do you want to say it? Sorry. Go this ahead. is Understand South Carolina. <laughs> uh, sorry. It's just really fun to say. It, it is. Fun it's, like to the say. In, it's like the NPR newscast. Oh, like, yeah. fly. Sorry. <laughs> I digress. Okay. Uh, so before we get started, a few uh, housekeeping notes, real quick. Emery and I want to say that we're so sorry. We are sorry. We really are. Um, so Emery and I, I think we mentioned this sometimes because we love to complain. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, uh, in addition to this podcast, uh, we have full-time, and sometimes more than full-time jobs, as uh, digital editors for the Post and Courier. And a whole lot of just stuff has come up these last few weeks, which is why this is our first episode um, after a two-week hiatus. Really sorry, and to kind of help keep this from happening moving forward, we are going to be releasing episodes on a bi-weekly basis instead of weekly. Yeah, I mean, like when we launched the show, we really didn't know what to expect, and it has been great to see the show just like really take off, and it's really exceeded, I think, our our wildest expectations yeah like i'm like whoa this many people want to listen to yeah me? yeah and we've gotten we've gotten so much great feedback since wow. we launched it um like it's great to hear from y'all um but i think we we really want to keep the show at the quality that y'all expect um and so that's why we're going to make this change maybe not permanent but at least for now yeah because we didn't we just kind of we didn't want to phone in episodes which right, we could have exactly. kept you know just cranking them out but you know sometimes yeah. uh the quality is not as good if we're doing that. Yeah, so. exactly. So, so that's what we're going to be doing at least for the rest of this year. Anyway, now back onto uh, normal business. So today we have political reporter Caitlin Bird. Hey guys, you're getting a two for one special today <laughs> to make up for the two week hiatus. We, yeah, we really are. Um, she's been on the show with us twice before, so this is this is your third third appearance here on Understand SC. Caitlin's episode on Mark Sanford was actually one of our most popular. And that thing took it off. It re- really did, yeah. Um, so she's here to continue that conversation and talk more about South Carolina's role in electing the president of the United States. Welcome back, Caitlin. Thank you. Um, so we're also joined by, uh, I guess... Uh, Skylar is your boss. Oh yeah, yes. he's my boss. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, Caitlin's boss is here. Is our uh, political editor Skylar Croft? And uh, Skylar, how long have you been covering South Carolina politics? I was hired on December seventh, nineteen eighty-seven, and I have covered some facet of South Carolina politics since that minute. So um, that exact moment in <laughs> yeah, time, everything about South Carolina is. I politics. love how you know the exact date. <laughs> so, yep. So it's uh, Skyler's kind of an expert who can obviously knows his stuff. Gosh, like 87. Is that, is that 30? 34? 32 years ago? I forget. It's yeah, math is hard. Years. Yeah, 32, yeah. Years. 32 years ago. I gave you two bonus years. <laughs> um, in the trenches. Um, so I kind of thought you could start us off by asking, by um, answering a really broad and potentially difficult question. Describe just like in a nutshell, like what do you think South Carolina's role exactly is in electing the president of the United States? I think you want to go back in time. South Carolina really emerged in the primary process about 1980. And it's really the brainchild of our former governor, Congressman Carol Campbell, and former South Carolina-born strategist Lee Atwater, who saw what was going on in the South was changing from Democrats to Republicans. and. They wanted to get a piece of 
picking the president. So they worked together to to you know make South Carolina a higher profile in 1980, um, so we could become a player. And uh, that year. So what do you mean by shifting from Democrats to Republicans? For the listeners, you might not be familiar. Well, with- you know, traditionally the, the South was white Democrats. They controlled everything. There was no need to have a Republican primary because white Democrats controlled everything. But you saw the Southern strategy happen around the time of Richard Nixon and such when when things started shifting down and the Bible-related voters started becoming a a real power player and what happened. and People got upset with the Democratic Party. The black vote was going and trying to find a space in the Democratic Party, and you just saw a complete exodus in that direction. So the the power base of the country just began to shift from the east to the south. Hmm. Wow, it's really weird to think that it goes all the way back that far. And I mean, I guess like were the are the policies of the did the policies of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party kind of shift with that? They, I mean, I guess it's hard for me to imagine like the majority of the South holding Democratic ideals. Yeah, uh, you know, who, who was the poor man's party? Was the Democrats, and uh, that kind of shifted, and uh, you know, the, the Democrats became the party of, of unions and hippies and, and that sort of thing too. And, and, and the white middle class, the working folk, were looking for a place to go, and then the Republicans kind of put the bait out and said, "Come with us." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of famous names now that we think about, like Strom Thurmond, was is a Democrat. Really, for yeah, a really yeah. long time. I mean, did, did he eventually did switch to? Yeah, he. Uh, he yeah, did, I can't even imagine he, like that. He was a mind. Democrat because we we were everyone in South Carolina was a Democrat. Yeah. So that that was his party. And then mm-hmm. remember, he became a Dixiecrat, which became you know kind of the Southern Race Party and represented the eleven Southern states in the South. And when he ran for president, that was nineteen forty eight. Um, and again, uh, in the sixties, he started becoming a Republican, and he was. Very, very good friends with Richard Nixon and you know, rejecting the, the politics of, of, of Kennedy. So mm-hmm. uh, it was off in that direction. Well, I guess, though, what, what, what I'm curious is, so then how does, how does this lead us to the situation that we have now where, where South Carolina has this really early presidential primary? Well, if you go back to 1980, then if, if you become fourth in the process and you are a state of uh, white evangelicals that were, you know, the big tent that was being opened at that time to let them in, South Carolina is is you know the buckle of the Bible Belt, so it became the perfect state to come down and test your Republican credentials, and that's what happened around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that primary drew out Ronald Reagan, who again was the first to open the door to the evangelicals uh, against John Connolly from Texas, and it became Ronald Reagan's show. I mean, basically, South Carolina was one of the states that gave him the bounce. Hmm. So that kind of brings us to where we are at today, right? South Carolina is now, it's one of the early primary states, and that's for both parties, correct? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. First in the South. With the very first in the South, right? So it's kind of interesting, yeah, that, you know, that's kind of the background of why we became the first. And this 2020 election, um, as y'all know, uh, Caitlin broke the story last week that the South Carolina Republican Party is actually getting sued because they canceled the Republican primary here, kind of meaning that South Carolina would I guess that's a good question. Does that mean that South Carolina automatically goes Trump in the prime as the Republican nominee officially? Well, right now we're because of this pending litigation, we still have to see what's going to happen. So the Republican Party in South Carolina has about 30 days to respond to the lawsuit. 
That was filed on October 1st. And it's really important to note that the plaintiffs of that case include a former Republican congressman from South Carolina, Bob Inglis, who has spoken out against President Trump in the past. Right. I remember there was a story um, in June 2017, kind of around the uh, like Comey hearings or maybe short, short, shortly thereafter. And when some stuff was really coming out about Trump, because Inglis had voted um, to impeach Clinton. And then he said, it was a quote, something like the, the Clinton impeachment now seems far less consequential than, than the idea of impeaching Trump. So, yeah, that context is really interesting. Right. And so basically some of the Republicans um, who were upset by this decision by the Republican Party's executive committee here in South Carolina was they argue that their vote is now effectively neutered because they have no place to take their vote during the primary when there are, in fact, Republican challengers running against Donald Trump, Mark Sanford, Joe Walsh and Bill Weld at least right now. But without that primary, there's really no way to gauge how they would do here. And that's important, as we talked about in the last time I was here about, you know, Mark Sanford running for office, uh, the highest office, is that the South Carolina Republican primary in particular holds a lot of political weight because Republicans here have picked every eventual Republican presidential nominee with the exception of 2012 and Newt Gingrich. So without that data point, is really kind of, for some Republicans, a glaring omission of South Carolina's participation in the process. But to other Republicans, why spend the money? Why waste the time when they know that the outcome is going to be heavily Trump? There was a poll earlier this year that found more than 90% of Republicans here, if the primary were held today, they would vote for Donald Trump. Yeah, so I feel like that's kind of the obvious question. And we got into this a little bit in the Mark Sanford episode, but, but I guess if they... Were to hold a primary, Trump is all but certain to win it. So, what what would be the point of running a primary? Like, if if you're opposed to Trump, what would the what would that point be? I think the point for Republicans who are opposed to Trump and who want an alternative is part of it is they don't want to feel like outliers, and to them, they don't think that they're outliers, right? Because everybody goes and retreats to their own collective echo chambers. And so right now, the Republican echo chamber is Trump, 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 Trump. But there are parts of the Republican Party, though not as vocal, not as loud, not as large, that are saying, I don't know if Trump is the right nominee for us as a party moving forward. What happens to the brand of the Republican Party after 2020? Mm-hmm. What happens in 2024? Yeah. So so that's kind of part of the question. And then with this lawsuit in particular, um, the plaintiffs are arguing that the Republican, the state Republican Party broke their own rules right. when they made this decision. So that's kind of the tricky ins and outs. My guess is that the Republican Party is going to wait until the very last minute to respond yeah. to this because they did have lawyers consulting on this decision made by the executive committee. But that decision was not unanimous. Mm-hmm. I, do, I do just want to ask, though, I think what... To, to follow up on Brooks's question, though, so obviously, yeah, we're going to wait and see what does end up happening. But mm-hmm. before this lawsuit was filed, mm-hmm. what uh, just to to be specific, like what actually would the process is? Is Brooks right that that they would just nominate Trump? Is that would the party just have that ability if they didn't have a primary? Is that I, I think you really need to go back and understand what the purpose of a primary is. It's where for a lot of people, it's the only time your vote will ever count. 
Yeah. Um, because yeah, true. districts are so skewed in this state. You know the outcome of, of what the party is going to win. Mm-hmm. You know what the November race is going to look like already. So it's really— Right. We're going to go red in the November race. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a really important point to, mm-hmm. to make. That's I've lived here in South Carolina or here in the first district for a while now, and actually the, the Cunningham race was, like, really, really wild because even— even though he did end up winning, like most people didn't even think it was a competitive race. Even on the national scale, there were no like polls. It really came out of nowhere. And and yeah, every every year that we've had an election, it's it's always been who's going to win the Republican primary because that's really right. the race to watch. Yeah, so, yeah. It, everything it's just so skewed in that way. And it, it's also a really good opportunity for people who who just never get involved in politics because mm-hmm. this is you know you don't have to be a member of the Republican Party to vote in a primary or the Democratic primary. You, you don't have to go to the meetings. You don't have to okay. give any money. You can just you can just go out and vote because our, our primaries are open. So mm-hmm. it is an opportunity uh, for a lot of time to make a statement. Mm-hmm. Ahead but you of can't November. you can't vote in both though, right? You can't vote in both. You, you have to you have to you pick, pick one, but yeah. but you can choose either yes, one. You don't yes. have to be a Democrat or Republican. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that breaks the question. I mean. I, there's a lot I don't know about polling. Maybe you get, and maybe this this could be a little bit of a complex thing to unpack. But I mean, you think about okay, 2016. You know, we had all news organizations were pretty much saying like 95 percent, 98 percent, Hillary Clinton is going to win. We all know what happened there, right? So these Republicans that are saying okay, like more than 90 percent of voters in South Carolina are going to go Trump, even if we had one. I mean. Do they actually know that? I mean, uh, do we know these polls are accurate? Well, okay, I, I do just want to make one point of clarification. Um, I think the the numbers you're talking about in 2016. So what a lot of news organizations did, and 538 kind of pioneered this, and it, it, mm-hmm. it is confusing. Um, but they they put out what they call like probabilities. Okay, um, so that's a little different than that's polling. That's different than right. polling. Okay. So what they would do is they would look at a poll that said they, they would add up all these polls that are like. 51, 49%, you know, if you add up all the polls, then you run a bunch of simulations and then you say like, okay, we're like 90% certain that Hillary's going to win based on the polls. doesn't mean that the, polls that, that. that the polls said 90% right. of people are going to vote. But that's good. I guess, I'm so, just confused by it. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. That, it is. Yeah, it's, it is absolutely confusing. And, and that's like one of the like issues that came out, came out of 2016 is that people felt like there was a poor job of communicating that to, to people. But um, I think in this case, what we're talking about, though, is actual polls that say we're not like 90% certain that they would win. We're saying like actually 90% of the voters would vote in this way. But right? how, yeah, how did they get that information, I guess? is Well, we, you extrapolate out and every poll has a margin of the yeah. area. And you have your universe of X number of thousands of people when you do such a thing. And, and again, I mean, if, if you hire a polling company and they give you bad information yeah. and things are absolutely wrong, I mean, this is what they do. This is what they do professionally. There, um, versus, there's also polling out there that's done to intentionally skew and mislead and that sort of thing. So, it, 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 you know, where's your faith in whatever company you're using, yeah. or whatever poll you're using? Right. And this particular poll that we're talking about is coming from Winthrop University, which is an independent academic institution. And what they try to do is make sure that the the sample of their polling is representative of the population at large. Mm-hmm. So. And, and for a poll too, I mean. Um, when you vote, you you end up on any number of lists, and so if your household or yourself is a traditional Republican household, chances are much better you're going to be surveyed for a poll versus someone who mm-hmm. votes in a Democratic primary is not going to be the object right, of the question. Right? Because I mean, I know um, I have um, a family member who uh, traditionally votes um, 
in the Democratic primary, but in some cases, uh, that family member will then will vote in the Republican primary because he kind of sees it as, you know, he's a Democrat, but he wants if the Republican nominee to be somebody, you know, he's, he's kind of a moderate. So it's mm-hmm. like, he's like a Democrat technically, but like he will vote in the Republican primary to kind of see, like kind of make it like the the candidate that would be the most tolerable. You know yeah. what I mean? For yeah, no, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. And, and I think a, a lot of people in the state do do that because, I mean, if you think about it, if you're a Democrat, it's incredibly unlikely that South Carolina is going to go blue in a presidential election. So whoever the Democratic nominee is, you're probably just going to like say you're going to vote for that person. But since you live here in South Carolina, actually, yeah, probably the more influential decision that you could make is to vote in the Republican primary because that's where you're... Your elect, South Carolina's electoral votes are probably going to end up going. You, you also become you become that unicorn. You right. become desirable by whatever candidate who who thinks you're malleable and can go one way one election and another way another. So there is a large segment, and that, that you know that probably are, is a group of people that helped Joe Cunningham, the Democrat, win, right. win the congressional district. Bob Inglis and what was the other guy's name? Kindle. I hope I hope I said that last name right. <laughs> to their He's po- a voter in Mount Pleasant. To their point, I guess, you know, like is I mean, is there any chance that if we did have a primary that some that somebody besides Trump could or at least could somebody get a little bit of traction if not become the nominee? I think twenty sixteen should teach all of us that we can't uh count our chickens before they hatch. Right. And that the election is the ultimate determination of how people feel about someone. So when we're talking about the Republican side of things, you're right. Um, Right now, obviously, within the base at large, it is Trump, Trump, Trump. He's the incumbent. This is also precedent for just how things work around here. Skyler can probably rattle off all the years that Mm -hmm. Republicans and Democrats here in South Carolina have held presidential primaries and then years when they haven't because they've had an incumbent president in the White House. So there's, there's some precedent there. But at the same time, when we're talking about these types of long shot bids, the goal, as even some of the candidates have pointed out themselves, may not necessarily be to win the nomination outright, but to shake up the national debate surrounding what the party looks like moving forward. Yeah. And if the numbers backed up the rhetorical appeals that they're making to voters, then that might rattle the cages a little bit more than just going and, you know, getting a sandwich at Arby's in New Hampshire. You know, it's just a different thing. Sorry, that was a, mm-hmm. a little bit of an inside joke. Yeah, but. I mean, what, what I was about to say, and I'm, I'm curious if, if y'all agree with this take, but I feel like the the what you would want to accomplish from running a, a presidential primary if you're a challenger for Trump is not necessarily to win it outright, that's incredibly unlikely, but to out, like to overperform your, your polls. So that is to say that, like, if you could get, like, 20% of the vote or something like that, that would change the media narrative. You know, for for example, in the past couple of weeks, we, we've been seeing like Democratic fundraising totals come out and Biden is still on top. But the media narrative really shifted because Elizabeth Warren started to raise a lot of money. Now, she's still in the second place. But the fact that she's overperforming kind of changes the media narrative, gets people talking about it. So I feel like maybe that would be the goal is is not necessarily to win it outright, but to make a splash get that conversation, and get, get that conversation yeah. started. You, well, know? And you gotta realize this, the, the, the Republicans running against Trump, it, it's very cheap to run for president if you have no prayer of a chance. Yeah. I mean, and that's, <laughs> you know, it, and the money you are using is not yours. Yeah. So if, if, if you don't like President Trump and want to embarrass him, that's, that's your goal. And you can do that by seeking free media, which is what Mark Sanford is doing by 
appearing on talk shows mm-hmm. and going to Arby's and, and that kind of stuff. Having a, what, he had that life-size cutout. The life-size Trump yeah. cutout that he toted around the state to make a case for the Republicans here in his home state to hold a, a primary, saying that this would be the only debate that he could have with the president right now. To sort of follow up, when we talked to Caitlin on our Mark Sanford episode, that was right after she had broke the story that he was exploring possibly running. Since then, he has decided to run. And can you kind of update us? I mean, when we talked last time, it seemed like there was not a lot of Republican support in South Carolina for Sanford. Um, Since he started, I guess, campaigning a little bit, have you seen that change at all? Uh, that's it's highly anecdotal, but so far the people that I hear from who are supportive of Mark Sanford and his run are the people who have always been supportive of Mark Sanford and his run. Right. Um, the interesting movement, though, since um, he actually decided to announce is that he has been actually making the rounds around the country. So he's gone to New Hampshire. He's gone to Iowa. He went and spoke at, uh, in California, which California is a huge delegate state. Um, So that's kind of important if you think about the backdrop behind going and talking about politics in California, that maybe he's crunching the numbers in the back of his head. Um, He is back in South Carolina right now, but he's going to be going back up to New Hampshire because, as he said to his supporters in an email sent last night, um, he's seeing some traction there potentially among New Hampshire voters um, who tend to be a little bit more focused on the fiscal and pocketbook issues. So that would be right up Sanford's alley. So he's been kind of doing what he's always done, which is, you know, retail politicking, going into restaurants, shaking people's hands, talking in parking lots, going anywhere where he can be heard, even if it means showing up at a festival and getting thrown out because people are like, you can't be soliciting because you don't have a booth. Which did happen well, to like, him. Did that happen? <laughs> it did happen to him at like a food festival that he went to in one of the early states. It was either Iowa, New Hampshire. I can't remember he which one. He got thrown out. He got thrown out, and he, he continued talking to people in like the parking lot. Oh my gosh! Very that, on brand. That guy knows how to make a splash. He does, but at the same time, I mean, this is the way that he's always campaigned, and he prefers it this way. And to Skyler's point, you know, for someone who is Mark Sanford, who really is focused on the bottom line. He can still be the fiscal conservative and run on the cheap, though he did ask people to give him $10 in his last email. So he's trying to make the fundraising appeal, but kind of on his own terms. But yeah, to Skylar's point, it was a lot of this might just be to maybe embarrass the president a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, And to their points, you know, like Joe Walsh is a very different Republican than Mark Sanford. He's much more abrasive, and he is much more brash in his comments. Part of that is he went from being in Congress to being Walsh, a talk show uh, another host. one that's running? Yeah, he's a former Illinois congressman, and they were actually both on CNN State of the Union this past week. And you could tell just from their approach, they, they just have very different approaches to how to handle President Trump. So it's going to be interesting, but right now those conversations really are peripheral for a lot of Republicans. So how much that stays in the periphery and how much that they can actually inject that into the national conversation is going to be something to watch. So we'll just have to wait and see. But when you don't have primaries in early states like South Carolina, that message is a lot harder to get traction because to Emory's point, you can't you don't you you lose that yardstick. Mm-hmm. What, what you're probably going to see is um, since Iowa has a caucus, that's open. Mm-hmm. We'll see how Mark does there. But he's really got to persuade thousands of people to come out and support them, and I just don't know what's going to happen. What's the difference between a caucus? A caucus is not is an, a very informal event. You, you would have voters show up to different places, and there would be a little bit of discussion, and you would say, I vote for candidate A. People in this corner say, I vote for candidate B. 
Candidate A wins. That's it. So it's it's just going forward, that sort of thing. It's it's a very— And I've just always wondered, like, I, I feel dumb asking this, but the difference between, like— the Iowa caucus and South Carolina primary. What you're describing just sounds so unorganized. Yeah, yeah. That it, <laughs> it, it, it is unorganized, but it, it, they hold it on a date and someone comes out the winner with percentage of the vote and you go from there. But when you go to New Hampshire, mm-hmm. it's a primary. Right. It, it's an all-day go-into-the-ballot-booth, pouch vote. And the state runs it, not the political parties, right. which is a difference between us and them. And, and the, so the new, caucus, the political parties run it. Is that what you're saying? Oh, oh, you're saying for I New mean, Hampshire? I mean, between the New Hampshire and yeah. us yeah. for the primaries. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And so uh, you'll have a primary there, and um, it's open. I think it's only $1,000 to get on a primary ballot there. So, you know, that's why you get huge, huge ballots there, people who want to make their name known or their cause known. And I, I think what you'll see, you know, South Carolina ends up not having a primary Um Mark will be down here just talking on TV cameras wherever he can and trying to steal some thunder for his issue. So, yeah, that was my other question is, okay, if he um, – there's not a primary in South Carolina, which is his home state. I mean, are there, are voters going to have the chance to vote for him in these other states? Well, at least four other states have canceled their primaries as well. Okay. So um, the path going forward after here is bleak. Yeah. So it makes sense then that he's going to be pivoting and turning some of his attention to New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, he will. Will there be a? There will be a Republican primary in New Hampshire. Yes, I, I reached out to the Treasury Department up there, and they told me yes, we will have one. They haven't put the dates on their website yet, but it's there. He'll just have to pay the money and get on the ballot. Do you guys? Do you guys remember? I think was it in 2016? There was a, a, a kind of a fight between South Carolina and another state that wanted to move their primary up. I forget what the states were, but everyone seems to do that. I, I think. Iowa and New Hampshire have to go first, mm-hmm. and then it's open after that. But the primary dates are also kind of confirmed and set and agreed upon by the state. I'm sorry, by the national parties. So if 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 a state wanted to jump in front of South Carolina for some reason, there would be penalties in terms of um, delegates. They would the delegates cut off funding that kind of stuff too. So so you know the the, the national parties are the ones that kind of govern the dates now. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just curious. Have you heard anybody talk about whether or not maybe this kind of sets a precedent, though, in in that regard? That like the fact that we're just not going to have a primary this year. Do you think that might embolden some other states? Have you heard that at all? Or well, I, I think it goes back to the argument is just you know the the parties are supposed to support the sitting president. Right. So you know holding a primary doesn't help a sitting president. It, it only helps the challenger. Yeah. So the, the mentality, I think, is to, you know. So in states like New Hampshire, it's not the it's not the party that's running the primary. So right. therefore, they're going to probably have the primary no matter what. Yeah. But in if South there Carolina. there are candidates, yeah. Gotcha. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. But right now, I mean, all of the focus on South Carolina is definitely Democrats, which is, to our point earlier, you know, for, for Democratic voters, this is their chance. Yeah. You know, they will not have that chance in the general election, potentially. Well, yeah. I mean, what that might be that might be a, a useful thing to go through. Yeah, we didn't people. want to talk so about what, that. What, uh, what's the state of play in in the South Carolina oh Democratic primary that we that we know of so far? Well, right now, I mean, just in terms of the candidates, yeah. uh, Joe Biden has got a pretty strong and consistent lead here in South Carolina. Yeah. He has historic ties. Um, that go back decades. I mean, he's been in office for decades, and some of those relationships that he's built over the years have been in South Carolina. The thing with 
the state at large, though, is we go back to order. We're the first in the South. We're the fourth in the lineup on the calendar. But we're the first state where the majority minority voting population is expected to make up those Democratic primary voters. Mm -hmm. And then our date is, uh, for the Democrats, it's going to be on February 29th of 2020. The following Tuesday is not just any Tuesday. It's Super Tuesday. Mm. And that gives South Carolina even more of a weight because South Carolina could help set a tone for what then Super Tuesday basically counts for more about 40% of the delegate count for Democrats. So if South Carolina can set a tone because the other states before South Carolina do not have majority black Democratic primary voters, Nevada has majority. it'll, It'll have a good test in Nevada for Hispanic voters. But Iowa and New Hampshire are heavily white. Mm-hmm. And South Carolina is more representative of Democratic voters as a whole nationwide. So South Carolina, in its own little litmus test way, is going to be really important. And like I said, it's almost like that Saturday, of that South Carolina Saturday, could really translate to Super Tuesday. Yeah. So um, I know that we had a, a lot of Democrats. Democratic candidates here this weekend. Uh, both uh, Skylar and Caitlin, by the way, uh, have been working nonstop. They've uh, been uh, participating in the Post and Couriers Pints and Politics events, which we'll we'll touch on um, at the end of the episode. Uh, but I mean, what was? I don't think was Biden here this week. He was he not. He was not here this week. So what did you guys? I mean, there was the was the blue jamboree. That was I was it? at the Charleston County Democratic Party's blue jamboree. It's their biggest kind of annual fundraiser. This year they had more than three thousand tickets sold, which was a record for them because um, all of those tickets go to support the party, and then the party can use those funds to help in races like South Carolina's first congressional district to help with smaller races too, and really just do party building, reaching out to folks and um, building their voter rolls and things like that. Um, but yeah, this weekend, the the top tier, the highest tier candidate that um, that got to address Charleston County Democrats directly was Senator Kamala Harris. Um, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Joe Biden, who have been kind of the top tier candidates thus far. Also, Pete Buttigieg, you could throw him in there kind of in the mix since he's gaining some ground. They were not there, but I think- Why about- were they not here if this is such an important- well, we're only well. I mean, part of it is one like you have to look at the schedules of the campaigns. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. part of it, and and there may be more important South Carolina Democratic events that they would want to be set up, which they did do. So we're talking about like the Clyburn Fish Fry. If you weren't at the Fish Fry, you weren't running. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone came to the Fish Fry. Everyone came to the South Carolina Democratic Party convention, and also those are statewide. Those are for all Democrats. So and in some ways, they got to think about bang for their buck. Right. So this one this weekend was the low country specifically. Right. Low country specifically. And and again, you kind of have to look at the, the schedule of the candidates because once Kamala was done with the Blue Jamboree, she then went to Beaufort and had a town hall. Yeah. So you kind of do a couple – they do a couple of swings. You know, usually they don't just come down for one and go. Usually there's at least two or three, if not five, events that they try to check off their list or have private meetings with people or roundtables. Things like that. So this weekend was really kind of a, a rallying call for the Charleston County Democrats to get excited, to to kind of take this energy into the 2020 election, to hear directly from candidates that maybe they haven't heard of much beforehand outside of maybe some of the some of them who have qualified for the debate stage. So, you know, they each got 20 minutes to make a pitch. Some of them used all of their time. Some of them did not. Um, it was interesting. There were seven candidates total who spoke. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, Skylar, you you might be able to touch a little bit more on this. Um, so we talked about earlier, like, historically, when South Carolina has a Republican primary, that is usually the, the nominee. Um, what about for the Democratic pr- primary? Is that the same or is it a little bit different? It's a little bit different in that you're just not getting the big numbers. This is, this is kind of the biggest field of Democrats I've seen, but— um, who knows if they're going to be standing by the time February rolls around. You had X number of people running in, in when Hillary and, and, and Bernie right. ran last time, and it turned out to be a, a two-person show. So it, it depends on who's standing at that time. But I, I went and pulled some numbers. I think the, the like to illustrate your point on, on where we stand is in 2016, you had 740,000 people vote in the Republican primary. Uh, you only had three hundred seventy thousand in the Democratic primary. Oh wow! And mm. the, the, so it's a, it's you're looking at two to one. Right. Um, the Democrats had two candidates basically, and the Republicans had ten or so. So, um, so we don't really hold as much of a like deciding about who's going to be the nominee, which makes sense because we're not really a yeah most of Democratic state just because we're such an early um, primary. Though I just well, I wondered I think, you know, if that I think, translated. Um, what I was about to say when when you were asking your question a second ago, though, I think that, and this is true for all of the early primaries, the real dividend from them is narrative, is is media right. attention. I mean, because what's going to happen, like to what Caitlin was talking about, is is you have these early primaries, and that gives the media like a story, something to talk about. Somebody has won New Hampshire. Somebody is, has won. South Carolina, they have momentum, right, going into these big days like Super Tuesday. So, like, if you're a candidate, I think it makes a lot of sense. You're going to spend your time trying to get the victory that you can get. So, like, if you're competitive in New Hampshire, you know, you want to win that New Hampshire victory. Uh, Like, I remember in 2008, um, you know, like, the thing that, like, really helped Obama was when he won the Iowa caucus, right? That, that, was that like kind of cemented this this media narrative like okay now he's before that people were wondering is he electable can will white people vote for him and then Iowa is this like you know majority white state Obama wins it it creates this media narrative he's got momentum now right so I think it does kind of make sense though that you're not maybe seeing as many people down here in South Carolina right now just because we do see Biden with a pretty sizable lead right now so you've got to kind of play to, to where your strengths are. And I don't know who feels like they've got a shot at like chipping away at Biden's lead down here, you know? Yeah. You, I guess you, you want to play with your geography. I mean, yeah. the, the field will drop significantly after Iowa and again yeah. after New Hampshire, and we'll see who's standing here. But, but again, if you look like a Bernie Sanders, um, he got thumped here in, yeah. in four years ago. Um, it, it was, didn't look good for him at all. Even he left the state early and wasn't even here on election day. So that's right. He, he's, he's like, I'm over yeah. it. <laughs> so he saw what was going to happen, and then he went out west. But um, you know, no matter what happens to Bernie Sanders, he's got staying power. So he he could lose Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and would still have plenty of followers and money in another part of the country. So yeah. you might see some of that. So, yeah, like it's entirely possible that, and I would say right now it looks likely that there might be like a different winner for each early primary state. You know, and then each one of them will claim to have momentum based on on who has, you know, which races they've won. So do we kind of see like people like Bernie Sanders, like giving South Carolina less attention are going into it? This time, Bernie's giving South Carolina much more attention. Oh, he is. Okay. He has definitely he learned from seeing that writing on the wall last time. And he's been spending much more time with folks down here because he knows how important South Carolina can be because it was important last time. 
we see people like Kamala Harris especially saying that she thinks that she can do really well here, especially among black women. And uh, that makes a lot of sense considering she herself is a woman of color. What's really interesting is seeing how there's always this like invisible presence in the room, though, of Joe Biden. Even if Joe Biden isn't in the room, all of these candidates are having to figure out how to contend with him because he just looms everywhere. He's the de facto candidate for a lot of folks around here. But it's it's going to be really interesting just to see how it shakes out. And I think part of it is just as the field thins, that's going to be really telling. And it from talking anecdotally with voters over the weekend, a lot of folks have been very frustrated by the debate process because they too thought that it might help thin the herd and that it might get some candidates out of the running and then give other candidates more time to make a pitch. And instead, you know, the field is still at 19. That's a lot. That's a lot of people for voters to consider. It's like a heavy decision. Like, you know, I'm like it's the a most huge indecisive person, so I can't, 19. you know, like, ah, yeah, like, I feel like most voters must be kind of And they're all in the same paralyzed. side, right? Like, yeah, like, I don't know, like, which one? You so know? It's, and, and think about it. If you want to use, like, a sports analogy, everybody's got the same jersey on. But everyone wants to be captain. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really right. hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And it's tough to, like, get into the nuances, especially this early. So it's hard. So, so I, sorry. Um, well, okay, real quick note-wise, um, I think I think there was only one last thing, one thing I wanted to ask about, which is I want to get in, just kind of wrap up with the impeachment stuff. But I we, do you want to... Yeah, we can, we can go ahead and segue yeah, we're, there. Yeah, we're up to 40 minutes, so I think it's... Uh-oh. That can be, like, the thing that we kind of... Close it out on, all right? Yeah. All right, so the, the last thing that I wanted to talk about is kind of the elephant in the room, or is more like, I guess, kind of the Kool-Aid man that burst into the room <laughs> in the last minute, um, which is this uh, this impeachment inquiry that um, I, we had no clue that this was going to happen when we were last in here talking about this stuff. Um, do we have any any sense on how this might play into what ends up happening. I mean, I like, I guess I'm just kind of imagining like what, what happens if a president gets impeached and then we don't have a primary? Like, what? Oh, that's a really good, I did not think about that, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, it's incredibly unlike, like I, we like, it's unlike, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but, but if it did, and then we don't have, did, yeah. like, what, what do we think about this? Like, is this possible or what? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he would assume his role and continue his role as the president un- until he, the Senate votes to remove him. Yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, but if we haven't held a primary, I mean, I, I don't know what the timeline would kind of be. I mean, would there then... Mike Pence would assume the duties and he would be the, I guess he'd the, be the de, facto de facto party nominee and huh. assume all the rights and duties thereof. Hmm. Wow. That would really be wild. Um. <laughs> I might have asked Caitlin this last time, but I can't quite remember what the answer was. Have we ever held um, a Republican primary while a candidate's been in office before? I mean, while a while there's been an incumbent not in office. We did, but it was back in the '80s, I think. Yeah, right? um, uh, George Bush faced. Yeah. Um, that's right. David that's right. Duke and Pat Buchanan. Yeah, Pat Buchanan. That was the one. I was like, I could see P and B in my head, but I. I haven't had breakfast, so peanut butter is not the answer. Um. So, I, so why did the party um, okay it back then? I think there was just kind of a general dissatisfaction with with Bush at the time, and and it, the process took off from there. And um, I think Buchanan even won New Hampshire, so that he had some inertia came down here, and and, and Bush won down here too. The, the party apparatus got behind him. But Bush ultimately lost that election. He did. He lost the general. Um, 
Right now, the, in, the impact of the impeachment inquiry is really on the talking points. Right, right now, this is not so much in the ballot box. This is really playing out on cable networks mm-hmm. and seeing, you know, Republicans like Lindsey Graham, who is up for re-election for his Senate seat, watching him navigate that is going to be really interesting. Yeah. But that's not presidential for him. That's a Senate seat. I think it's also important to point out, too, that at, at, as of this date, there are nine House Democrats that have not taken a position on impeachment, and Joe Cunningham, our, our Democrat here, is one of them. So that yeah. that you might get a sway of that over the next coming weeks. Yeah, I guess I guess that's maybe one one random question that I have is um, I know that so nationally, definitely it looks like um, at least so far, uh, GOP politicians have have kind of either been enthusiastic, like the ones that support Trump really vocally have been supporting him, but it seems like a lot of the rest of them have kind of been trying to. Be as quiet as possible. Have we? Uh, what, what's? What are we hearing in, in South Carolina? Have, so far, do you think this has moved the needle at all? Or, or no? No way. No. Nancy wow. Pelosi came and headlined a <laughs> fundraiser, a, a Democratic fundraiser in Greenville, um, where she spoke. And outside, there was a counter protest from Republicans, which included GOP Chairman Drew McKissick, yeah. yelling and screaming about Trump. Yeah. So there are very much. By they are standing by their man yeah. in this case. Um, they but, and they've called and and Senators um, Graham and Scott have referred to it as hearsay. Yeah, and yeah, they're also calling on the Democrats to have an up or down vote early to, to get the thing going. So the talking points are the same mm-hmm. among all the Republicans here. Okay, all right. Um, it's going to be something to watch. Though. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think that the one thing that I wish that we could do better as media is I also just wonder how this conversation is playing out around kitchen tables, Yeah. right? Because we hear yeah, it a lot from, sure. the, from the cable news and we hear the talking points and we see the politicians and we watch them have to navigate their political hide and making sure that they can stay in office or maybe they just throw caution to the wind and say, this is what I think should be done. But really, at the end of the day, voters have to decide what to do with this information. Yeah. And right now, that remains to be seen. Yeah. That's a very, very, very salient point. I think this is a good point to wrap up this conversation. So, uh, yeah, so Skylar and Caitlin um, and our whole team at Host and Courier uh, have been hosting these Pints and Politics events, which are kind of less formal venues for uh, candidates to come. Um, and it's not just our presidential candidates, but has been, um, we had Senator Tim Scott and we had Congressman Joe Cunningham come to one, but it's a place where you can like just drink some beer and watch Skyler and Caitlin have conversations with these politicians. Um, over this last weekend, we had tons of folks coming in, um, and we probably have some more. I don't know if, Caitlin, you want to talk about a little more how people can find out yeah, more information? Yeah, so I'm really happy to say that we now have a landing page for this where all of the information oh, lives. Yes, <laughs> we've been wanting this for a while. So you ready? It's postingcourier.com slash pints and politics, and the and is spelled out. Andy. So that's where you can see not only who's coming up, and we are reaching out actively not only to 2020 presidential candidates, but to other folks that we think um, people will want to hear from. And heck, if there is someone that you want us to invite who you think would be worthwhile and interesting, uh, drop us a line, uh, politics at postandcourier.com. Um, but you can go to that website and you can see who's coming up. You can see stories that have come out of these events because sometimes, yes, candidates do open their mouths and make news and we are there and listening for it. Um, and then you can also see past videos of events. So if you want to see what Mark Sanford said, if you want to see what Lindsey Graham or Tim Scott or Joe Cunningham uh, uh, 
let's see, Amy Klobuchar, Tom Steyer, uh, Michael Bennett, Tulsi Gabbard, and soon Marianne Williamson. If you want to see what they said, you can go see it for yourself. So we understand that not everybody can make it out to every event, but we do do this as a service, and we feel very strongly about that. And it's free. That. And it yeah. is free. It is free. It's that great, great price of free. The beer is not. The, yeah, you, get, you, <laughs> yeah, you got to pay for your beer. <laughs> I don't even, I, I pay for my own beer too. Um, and another way to uh, really kind of keep in touch um, and follow the stuff of Caitlin and um, sometimes other folks on our uh, political staff um, write a um, Palmetto Politics newsletter, comes to inboxes five days a week. It's really, really well done. It's one of our most popular newsletters. Um, you can sign up for that at postingcourier.com slash newsletters. There's a box that says Palmetto Politics. Um, you can also see it uh, shows up on any of our um, article pages that um, are tagged politics. Mm-hmm. So. And sign up for some other newsletters while you're there, too. Hurricane yeah. Wire is one of my favorites. Yeah, so that's a good one. I'm a, big, I'm a big Hurricane yeah. Wire fan myself. And, and finally, and I know people are probably getting sick of hearing this, but... I think if, if you're really interested in politics in South Carolina, you've got to be a Post and Courier subscriber. We have got an amazing political team. We're all over the state. We're covering politics uh, like crazy. So if you're, if you're interested in this stuff, um, you want to be reading our coverage. And the best way to be able to read all the coverage is to get a subscription and a support. That, that helps support this coverage and make it all possible, make stuff like this possible. You know, like our newsletter, our podcasts are free. You know, be a, be a subscriber. Um, yeah, help, help, help us to, out. You know, um, if you haven't listened to our How the News Works episode, you'll understand that um, it's really essential for us to have subscribers in order for the, this whole thing. In order for you to have a watchdog still exist. Mm-hmm. You guys, you guys <laughs> make it all possible out there yep, in listener so. land. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. All right, and that's all. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier in Charleston. Our producer today was Kristen Kornbluth. Our theme song is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music by searching for Billy, that's with an I-E, Fountain, on Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postandcourier.com, or, of course, you can tweet at us with any questions or comments. And if you're a fan of the show, please take a second to like us and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast Store. See y'all later. 